Hello, and welcome to When It Goes Wrong, the podcast exploring disasters, accidents, and times when everything falls apart. I'm Jasmine, your host, and on this episode, we'll be discussing the Aberfan landslide, which happened in Wales in 1966. I've actually been putting off recording this episode for a while because it is just such a tragic story and it especially tragic because it impacted so many children. So if you are not comfortable with that type of children and tragedy, not an episode for you. Uh, and it's also just tragic because it was so preventable. And really learning a lot more about it has just brought home how preventable it could have been. There is so much to consider in this episode, so, so let's talk about it. So Jaffa Edwards was eight years old when he headed to Pankglass Junior School on the morning of the 21st of October 1966. The school was having a half day, as it was about to be half term. And it had been raining for the past few days, but there was no obvious flooding in Aberfan in South Wales. Jeff popped in to see his friend before walking in and settled down in class. It seemed like another normal day. So Aberfan was a traditional coal mining town in South Wales, and I just want to give a bit of background to coal at the time. So at the time, in 1966, coal mining was still a huge industry in England, and because coal was still the main material used for electricity and for energy generation. Mining was decreasing, though, so it had started its decline across the UK, but there were still around 700,000 people working in mines across the country. And mining was important because it was an industry that kept a lot of towns going, and Aberfan was one of them. So Aberfan was, was mainly supported by the mine. Most of the people that lived in the community had someone that worked in the mine, and that brought their income in. Even though there were so many people still working in mining at that time, mining was still incredibly, incredibly dangerous. And I mean, it still even is today. But it was very dangerous at the time. And there were lots and lots of accidents within the mines. And it had impacted the communities linked to mining quite a lot already. But the focus on safety and the focus on incidents was very much centred into incidents that happened in the mine itself. And mining at that time was nationalised in in England, so it was run by the government in one uh, national company, and that was called the National Coal Board, which I'll refer to as the NCB. And the NCB will be a very important player in this story, and they were responsible for all the mines in the country. So responsible for all of the safety in the mines and responsible for all of the production of my of uh, of coal and all of the byproducts and everything else that went along with it so mining uses many different methods and that depends on how deep under the earth the coal seam or whatever they were mining at the time would run but whatever method you use there is a huge amount of waste that's produced so that waste is basically everything that's extracted from mining so everything you you dig out on the way to try and get to the coal all of that is considered considered waste and all of that is known as something called spoil it mainly consisted of kind of like mud mud and rocks and shale and just just things of no value just just dirt and earth and all of these extracts from the mining were stored in what were known as spoil pits so they had taken all of, they'd been doing the mining, they'd taken out all of the coal and they were, you know, had all of this spoil left over. So they put all the spoil into giant spoil pits. And these spoil pits were, were essentially just huge mounds. 
like literally just humongous mountains of all of the waste that was coming out of the mines. They were there pretty much permanently, so it depends, and it really depended on how these spoil pits were treated, as to how stable they were, as to whether they could be used again, as to whether it would turn into land, anything like that. So some of them were turned back into vegetation and, and could be built upon, but some, even today, are just sitting there with no no commercial or, or any use at all and are quite unstable. And at the time, there was nothing really regulating the waste of coal. So there was a lot of regulations and policy and stuff around the mining itself, but the spoil pits and the waste wasn't really regulated at all. There wasn't really a policy. It was generally just up to the, the individual mines to manage the waste themselves. So in the case of of Aberfan, there were seven spoil pits around that mine. And all these spoil pits were on the top and on the slopes of the hills that surrounded the small town. The small town was in a valley. Uh, all of the spoil pits were on the on the hills surrounding it. And the photos from before the slip are pretty uh, spectacular. And the the spoil pits themselves, they do they're they're huge. Like you can see them really clearly, and they really loom over the town. And so tip seven, which is the tip we'll be focusing on, alongside the spoil that it had, it also contained about 15% of what was called tailings. And tailings were essentially chemical waste. But the key thing to understand about tailings is that when they get wet, they essentially form like a, a, like almost like quicksand. They really like harden and just to, like totally change in consistency. So that tip seven itself was over 110 feet in height and it contained 300,000 cubic yards of spoil. And this was one of many spoil pits. Where the, the pit itself was, was determined by the mine and they should have checked to see that it was in a safe position, uh, but they clearly didn't. There were known to be springs and other sources of water in the general area. So because, you know, in an ordnance survey maps, you could see that there were springs, there was underwater, underground water in that area and that the land that these spoil pits were on was not stable and was not, was something that it should not have been there. So tip seven was one that was one of several that was built on top of the spring but the engineers who were planning it just did not think did not think the rest was great enough. The tip itself was also far higher than it should have been. So there were some general rules around tips. Like I said, there wasn't any firm policy or firm rules, but the tip was almost double the height of what a standard pit was recommended to be. In the days leading up to the incident, there were heavy rains in the area. So not the heaviest that had ever been in the area, but but still significant portions of rain. And early in the morning of the 21st, when workers first went to the pits above the town, it was noted that the tip seven had actually already had a, a pretty significant slip and it had decreased by about 20 feet overnight. And when they looked at the tip, the workers basically decided not to continue putting things on the tip because obviously there was something up with it but they didn't take any further action so they didn't review why it slipped or or consider what may happen next 
and they didn't inform anyone else around the fact that there was potential danger from from this tip. And I mean, this seems crazy to me because surely, when you notice a twenty foot decrease in the in the tip, you would think that something was going wrong here, and really we should be alerting people and and taking action. But nothing, nothing was was an issue, and there was no cause for concern at the time. So a couple of hours later, at nine thirty that morning, the avalanche happened. So almost 110,000 cubic metres of spoil broke through from the pit and started pouring down the hill towards the town. And this was like a humongous avalanche. So it was very fast, travelling up to 20 miles an hour. It was 20 to 30 feet high. It was very loud. People in the town uh, say that it it sounded like a jet or, or really loud thunder. And so one of the real bad things that happened was water was really impacting the the spoil and the tailings that were in there and so there was the rain which was making the pit very liquid but also solidifying some of the the tailings but on its way on the avalanche on the way down it destroyed two big water mains and so these water mains then just continued pumping huge amounts of water into the spoil which then continued to really make it very hard to manage and work with so the avalanche struck several houses uh, before it hit the Pantglass Junior School, who, as we mentioned, had just started their lessons. And there are photos online which show the slip pretty soon after it had just happened, and they're insane. Like, the photos don't even look real. There is so much waste, and it's just so much bigger than you can even imagine. And the fact is that the slip happened so quickly that there was no time, really, for people to escape. So even though they knew potentially that it was coming, there was just nothing they can do. The spoil became quicksand. It just destroyed everything that it came into into its path. Combined with black murky water, areas set like cement, it was just absolute nightmare of, of material to try and work. And many were killed immediately, so by the impact, including whole classes of the school. So whole classes of the school who were in the wrong place at the wrong time, in the wrong bit of the building, were just immediately killed by the impact. And elsewhere in the buildings and elsewhere in the town didn't really know what had happened. And so those that could ran out and tried to get to safety while just really trying to understand what had actually happened. Almost as soon as the hit happened then, so many people in the village converged on the school to start digging and to start trying to save uh, the children that had been impacted. So this included emergency services, but also after about 20 minutes, many of the miners had heard that this had happened. Many of the miners had family and kids in the school, so they had all ran to the site and were trying to uh, recover people as much as they could. But the rubble, it was just almost impossible to search through because it was just so, the the consistency of it was just so hard to work with. And there were so many people around that it was really hard to work. There are photos of it as well. And yeah, there's just, there's just people everywhere. I don't know how they could have, you know, everyone obviously is trying their best to help, but it was just such a chaotic scene. So they often uh, had to call for everyone to be silent to see if they can hear any signs of life to try and see if they could try and pinpoint where they should be searching. But sadly, only about 10 children were actually pulled from the wreckage alive and transported to nearby hospitals. And Jeff Edwards, who we mentioned earlier, survived the slip and he was actually the last child to be pulled out of the wreckage alive on the day. 
very sadly then it turned out that of the 240 240 attendees of the school 106 children were killed in the landslide along with five teachers then 33 other people were killed in other buildings nearby the main reasons were were as we said from either wreckage impact or from further asphyxiation So by 11am that morning, there were no further rescues made, but they did continue trying. They continued through the night to see if they could pull anyone alive. And it would take over a week to come through all of the rubble and recover all of the bodies. In the days that followed then, families would identify the dead and there were lots of mass funerals. Uh, Many people flocked to the area to provide support and that included the then Prime Minister Harold Wilson uh, and Prince Philip arrived very soon after. The Queen did not come at first, uh, and I'll, I'll do, discuss a little bit about the Queen and, and that bit of the tale in more detail later on. Most notably, however, the head of the NCB, Lord Robbins, did not make it to the scene that day, and instead he went to a university ceremony. And this would be the start of the criticism against the NCB and really how they handled safety before the incident but then also how they handled the incident themselves and it would take many months for the town to remove all of the rubble and reclaim the area that had been hit let's go then to the aftermath So in the days and weeks that followed, the debate of blame then started to happen. So the town was devastated. Rates of mental health problems just rose rapidly. Many suffered from PTSD, but that really wasn't a disorder that was totally understood at the time. And it wasn't really even acknowledged. Every single person in the town was impacted. So there was those that had lost children, those that had lost friends, but there was also a lot of survivor's guilt for for families and children that weren't impacted and it just yeah it was just crazy the the mental load obviously of this was just immense and 1966 it wasn't wasn't a great time for mental health provisioning so yeah I, I just I hate to think how these people were treated it was immediately decided that an independent inquiry should be held in the months that followed and whilst this sounds like a great idea it just meant that Further controversy and heartache would continue for the villagers of Abervan. So one of the first terrible things after it that happened was that this was uh, the first disaster of its kind which was really televised and why we have so much footage of it now. And there was a huge outpouring of grief across the country, across the world, to this town and to the impact that, that had happened. And a fund was set up for the victims' families and thousands and thousands of people posted, sent money in. And the fund made it to almost the equivalent today of £2 million. And that's the second most money to that type of fund ever at that point. But whilst all this seems quite good and, and positive that they were they were getting some money, there was a huge amount of debate about what to do with the money and how the money was handled. So the charity commission who was set up to manage the money were just totally unwilling to actually give any of it directly to the families. Uh, and they were quoted as saying that they would not know what to do with that amount of money, which is just absolute madness. How people can make those comments is just insane. Not only did they say that, but they took it one step further. And once it was finally decided that some of the families could actually have some of the money... 
It was reported that the charity then said that they would assess each family to see if they were suffering and therefore deserved the money. And they even debated asking each family how close they were to their deceased children. Which just, I can't, just, it blows the mind. Alongside that, they also totally refused to pay any money to families whose children were damaged mentally. So there was nothing, nothing that around there. They would only pay those which had physical impacts, uh, as if the people hadn't been impacted enough. Now they were getting put through this. So thankfully, the, the families did get a bit of money when they finally decided how to divvy it up, but it's definitely not as much as they deserved. Some of the money was shared out a little bit more fairly. So the money was shared to injured children, those that may have disabilities in future and their future needs. Uh, Money for those who had lost housing to replace property. uh, And they also funded a memorial garden, which is where the school once stood. So that was the first horrendous thing which happened to the villagers post the incident. But let's now talk a little bit about the inquest about the tribunal and the actual blame for for why the incident happened. So it turned out that the residents of Aberfan had actually been complaining to the NCB in the years previously about the tips and how worried they were about them. There had been some other smaller coal slips in the area and so that had really made people quite scared, quite worried. They were very much looming over the town And I think that it was kind of this ever-present thing that no one was dealing with. There was even a direct petition from Panglass Junior School for the tips to be moved because they were in such a position above the school. But there had just been no response, no action, anything taken from any of these complaints. And the NCB really made it clear prior that they just were not going to be acted on. And there was this implicit undertone that they were going to be they were going to shut the mine if people didn't stop complaining. So they were essentially leveraging the fact that this this whole village really relied on the mine. Mining, as we said, was was decreasing at the time. They could easily just turn around and shut the mine. So don't complain, basically, which is just terrible. Uh, the NCB had so much power over the industry. And it just meant that, like, that inequality between the, the the village people and between the NCB just meant there was just nothing they could do prior to the incident. So the tribunal took all of what had happened into consideration, and then it started a 76-day inquest. At the start, NCB stated that they weren't to know there was a spring under the tip. So even though, like we said, it's present on maps and was common knowledge. The NCB basically kept saying that they thought it was an act of God, rather than something which they caused or or anything it could be prevented. They basically were just saying it was like a freak accident. They never could have known about it. And there was nothing that they could have done. They blamed the rain. So they said that it was because of the very heavy rains uh, and they weren't able to predict that type of weather. But the townspeople who who attended repeatedly kept calling them out for their negligence. So it was only towards the end of the tribunal, at the end of the 76 days, when all the evidence was submitted that the NCB finally did concede and take responsibility for the incident. So the tribunal ended with the NCB concluding that they were entirely responsible for the act, especially after they failed to act following small slips. The tribunal also found that there were no policy or legislation for tips, which is what we mentioned earlier, and their management. So the NCB weren't technically breaking the law because by not looking after the tips, but there was no legislation to say they had to. So technically they hadn't done anything specifically wrong. And this meant that 
even after that such massive loss of life, no one was fired, no one was demoted, no one lost their jobs at the NCB as a result of this incident. The NCB did eventually do a bit of a payout. So they paid £500 to each family for each fatality. And then again, they paid a bit more for, for long-term injuries and destroyed property. I think we can all agree that no no amount of money would ever fix or, or make anyone in this situation feel any better. The fact that they just didn't take responsibility, didn't do anything, is just, just such a tragic bit of the story. Alongside this, the tribunal did make a number of recommendations. So they extended the Mines Act to include tips. They set up a tip safety board uh, to try and stop similar incidents taking place. And there was a much bigger uh, emphasis on tips and, and how they were managed from that point going forward. But even after all of that, even after all of that tragedy, that isn't even the word, like, even isn't even the end of this story. So... the tribunal had said the town really wanted to get rid of the other tips that were still looming above them so this was tip seven they had another six tips up there that they really wanted to get rid of but again you would think at this point they would just get rid of them but no it was another battle that they had to fight ncb just were totally refusing to pay for it saying that it wasn't their wasn't their job to remove the tips and the town constantly petitioned to try and get rid of them Eventually, there was some agreement and because basically the government agreed to pay a large amount of the cost. NCB did contribute a little bit to get it removed, but £150,000 was taken from that charity fund to pay for removing the tips. And that is just mad. It's just absolutely mad that money that should have gone to these grieving families was used to fix scenarios caused by the mine and by the NCB. And they just totally refused to pay for it. So Abavan has recently, I think more people have heard about it recently because it was featured in season three of The Crown, uh, the Netflix series about Queen Elizabeth. And that's because it was a very important event in Queen Elizabeth's life. Uh, and at the time, it was it was another area of controversy around the incident. So if you've seen the episode, do recommend watching it. Elizabeth didn't go to the site of, the, of Abavan until eight days after the slip. So it was suggested to her many times, but she was insistent that by her attending, the focus would be in the wrong place. So by her being there, you, you know, they should be focusing on searching, on, on mourning or that type of thing. But by her being there, she would just be a distraction. Others in her family did go. So Philip and Snowden did go before and again asked her to, her to attend. And in this in the episode they make it seem a little bit like she was doing it maliciously i don't think we'll ever really know why what her reasons were for not going whether that was the reason or whether there was something else going on but yeah we, we just don't know but when she did come to abavan she was very visibly upset and this was something which the town appreciated they appreciated her being there and they appreciated the outpouring of emotion that she did. And this was pretty much one of the first times that she had shown emotion in public. Usually she was very stoic uh, and did not express herself in that way. Again, in the episode, they basically say that she only looked upset because she was told to. But again, no evidence either way. 
yeah, it's just nothing I can I can assume on. But her visit definitely was appreciated by the people of the town. And she has visited four more times and sent a message on the 50th anniversary, which was in 2016. And it's been reported in a few books that her not visiting Aberbound on the on the early days is one of the, the big regrets that she now holds. So what what did we learn? Because let's hope that we learned something after all of this tragedy. So Jeff Edwards, uh, who we who we met earlier, has spoken repeatedly about the incident. He's done a lot of advocating for the victims and a lot of work on improving conditions in the area, and he's also become a local councillor. Following the disaster, laws were changed around the spoil tips, which was great. And many were inspected around both in the UK and the world to really understand the impact of them and to check their safety. So there was a really big program around that. And especially in other parts of the world where there was a lot of mining, uh, it also led to safety reform in, in those countries as well. There have been a lot of reviews as to how the incident was handled, many apologies since, because obviously it just was not handled in any way that was acceptable. Uh, the town and the people there have also really helped the understanding and treatment of PTSD, so they uh, have helped a lot with that and helped to understand what the impacts of that could be and how to, how to try and treat it. Along, so, alongside that, obviously, the... There is not a lot of mining now in the UK, so mining has, has really declined. And so many of the spoil tips have settled over the years uh, and, and basically planted on over the top. So there may be spoil tips near you and you just don't don't even realise how that how that mound came to be or what, what it once was. So over the following years, all the mines in South Wales were eventually closed. All of these have been closed now. There are actually now only around 20 mines uh, which remain open in the UK, and the majority of those are in Scotland. So mining is really not a big industry anymore for the UK, and with that has meant that there have been a lot less mining incidents, a lot, lot less uh, mining tragedies, but the lessons from this have informed that, and the lessons from this have also really informed, uh, like I say, mining in, in a lot of other countries as well. I will put the main resources that I used uh, for this in the show notes. There's a very good article by the BBC, which is very quite long and interactive and has videos, that kind of thing. And it really goes into it. It's done really well to really dive more into people's stories and to the uh, explanations of what's happening. So I'll put those in there uh, and I'll put the, some other, other links that I reviewed as well. Uh, for you if you did want to read more about it so yeah it just i i had obviously heard about Aberfan before i did this episode but i never realized the I, I, the extent of of death i didn't even realize but then also i never knew all of the tragedy and all of the horrible things that happened to the survivors after it just just is a nightmare it's just problem after problem after problem and i can only hope that if anything like this happens in in our lifetimes now that it will be handled very differently and, and will be handled with the respect and the and the help that it deserves so yeah not not i mean all of the episodes i do are pretty sad but this is especially one that is quite difficult to process and quite difficult to handle so but i think it's important that we remember it and it's important that we talk about it so thank you for listening <laughs> 
same things as normal. Uh, please do rate, subscribe wherever you're listening. Uh, you can follow me at When It Goes Wrong Pod over on Instagram, uh, and also do drop me an email uh, with your thoughts to When It Goes Wrong Pod at gmail.com. As always, would love to hear what you thought about this story, about the tragedy that happened. But also, if you have any requests for future episodes, please drop them my way as well. <laughs>